The Secret World Chronicle, a podcast novel series written by Mercedes Lackey, Cody Martin, Dennis Lee, and Veronica Jagan. Presenting Season 9, Avalanche, Too Far Gone. Written by Mercedes Lackey, Dennis K. Lee, Cody Martin, and Veronica Jagger. The hand that hauled Penny up through the hatch belonged to an honest-to-God ninja, although Penny didn't think that ninjas were supposed to have more guns than they had hands. The woman, Penny was sure the ninja was a woman, she had hips and small breasts, made sure she was steady before motioning her to stand next to a man wearing a strange uniform. Both of them were short, and she squinted at the patches on the man's jacket. The red and white swastika startled her, and she glanced back at Miss Mel with a frown. Mel mouthed the word, okay, and motioned her ahead. Penny acknowledged her with a nod, but she gave the Nazi man a wide berth as she moved forward. While they waited for the others on the team to move into place, she studied the floor and walls. Where the submarine had been dark and smooth, this new ship had walls full of little holes and cracks, with long, thick strands of gray-white connecting parts of the walls to the floors and ceiling— it reminded her of cobwebs or enormous stringy pieces of pizza cheese. Penny bent her knees and pushed gently against the floor. It felt spongy under the special echo boots that the adults had made her wear with her new uniform. Someone else came to stand behind her, and she scooted forward to give them room without going too far into the room. The entire space had a damp smell to it, a combination of wet dog and moldy oranges that made her nose wrinkle. Penny covered her mouth with one hand and swallowed. She had smelled worse, but not by much. Smells like a monkey cage, huh? Mel stood behind her, her voice low. She rested a hand on Penny's shoulder. It's a whole different kind of circus, though. No popcorn? Penny shifted to look past Mel as the heavily armed ninja helped more people into the squishy, smelly room. Miss Vicky squeezed through the small group and the Nazi man followed her. The little man glared at Penny, then at Miss Vicky. So I guess this means we're going for broke. Seriously, Victrix, you'd bring a kid on this death trap. Penny scowled at the man, who she figured wasn't a real Nazi since Miss Vicky hadn't punched or stabbed him. He didn't talk so much as growl the words, which made Penny like him even less. She folded her arms across her chest and narrowed her eyes at him. Do you really think I'd have brought her if there was a choice? Give me a break, Jack. I'm not a sociopath. She's got skills we have no substitute for. Vix put an arm around Penny's shoulders. Besides, she's not going anywhere. She's going to stay right here. The long strands between the ceiling and the walls shivered, giving off a series of tiny vibrations— Penny saw the spongy wall closest to her pull in, then push out like it was breathing. Thick orange goop leaked from the holes while tiny hairs wiggled out and reached toward them. The tall man and the woman with the wings both erupted into flame, instantly dropping into crouches. Ships reacting to us and not in a good way, the man said. Miss Bella said something that Mama would have beat Penny for saying. She stripped off a glove and put her hand fearlessly on the oozing wall, wincing a little when she did so. Immune reaction. Damn it, Jack, you might have warned us this thing was alive. Sarah, J.M., turn off the fire, you're making it worse. Both of them immediately extinguished themselves. The winged lady cocked her head to the side, as if hearing something distant. It knows that we are foreign, like a virus. It has been ordered to kill anything foreign that comes in here. This is new, said the little man. Most of this place isn't organic like this, at least not lining the corridors we've been down and mapping. We should retreat, get back to the high-tech zones. No time, the giant man said. Everyone on me, now. As they scurried to his side, Penny found herself wondering about this giant who was never far from Miss Bella's side. He was huge, his voice was almost as gravelly as the little man's, but there was something about him she found immensely comforting. She could feel it. There was a gentle quality to him, and a strength, a good strength, like a great big shield she could hide behind. 
Penny yelped as a shimmering ball of light erupted around all of them, lifting them off the ground. They struggled to keep their balance. Some even succeeded, but Penny felt her feet fly out from under her on this newly curved and slippery floor. She landed squarely on her behind, wincing at the pain, but stopped in horror as she watched the world close around them outside the protective bubble. The hairs on the wall were growing. They were so fast, and they were wrapping themselves around the shield, and then they started to press in. Ideas would be good right now, the giant grunted. He sounded like he was in pain. Penny was beginning to panic, but Miss Bella seemed oddly calm, even though the palm of her hand was now discolored with a blotchy purple. She held onto the giant and closed her eyes. Keep that shield going, Wool. I think I might have this. It's a matter of figuring out its innards. She took a long breath, a sort of testing breath, as if she was a dog sniffing for something. Let's see if this works. Sarah, I may need a boost. Certainly. The winged lady wrapped her wings around all of them. One for you as well, Bulwark. The tall man next to her took the winged lady's hand into his own and then closed his eyes. Penny felt herself shudder with relief as one of the wings drew her closer in. A moment before, she had almost been screaming in terror, but now, all she felt was warmth and light and love, all from a simple touch from the winged lady. But she wasn't a lady. She was an angel. This is what angels do, Penny remembered. How many times had her brother Pike told her about angels? You had to believe in them, he had said, or they would never come for you. She thought they were stupid baby stories, that she had outgrown them, but to feel it, it was enough to make her believe. She noticed she wasn't the only one. Mr. Bull didn't look like he was in pain anymore. He stood tall, proud, his arms held wide as he held the gross hair back, and his shield seemed much brighter. It had been folding in places before. Now it stood firm. The ninja lady was holding herself closely, as if she was afraid the feathers would touch her. Penny wondered why. The angel leaned in close over the ninja lady's shoulder before she could move away, and whispered something. Penny shouldn't have been able to make it out, but the new ears that Miss Vicky had put in caught it. Forgiveness is always possible. The ninja lady looked away and didn't answer her. Miss Vicky's eyes were very big and very bright, as if she was about to cry. The angel put a hand on her shoulder and smiled faintly. Miss Vicky nodded. The short man just grunted and flicked a few feathers from his face. He looked annoyed. Got it, Miss Bella breathed. The hairs slowly relaxed and just as slowly pulled themselves back into the wall. The orange goop, now several inches deep on the floor, drained away. The walls drew back and stopped moving. Penny held back a sob of relief. I found the off switch, Miss Bella added, and then frowned. This ship is really strange, guys. This isn't the only part that's organic, and the organic part is old and failing, I think. A discussion for another time, I would think, Mr. Bull said, lowering the bottom half of his shield so that everyone was standing on the floor before he dropped it completely. We might want to follow Jack's suggestion and move right along. This area isn't safe. No, Miss Bella agreed. That's not the plan. I am not taking Penny further into this monstrosity. Plans change, darling the short man said. We've been mapping out the surrounding area. Got a safe point just around the next bend. Safer than here, anyway. You can do your mojo there. No plan survives first contact with the enemy, said Miss Vicky, sounding calm and practical. I say we get out of this homicidal cloaca. Your off switch might not stay off. Reluctantly, Miss Bella nodded, although Penny could not imagine why she'd want to stay here. They all followed the little man and his ninja friend out of the weird round metal plate that opened up like that thing on the front of a camera and let them out into a much more normal corridor. The angel and her tall man lingered behind for a moment. The angel rested her hand on the wall as Miss Bella had. Then the two of them looked into each other's eyes. The tall man nodded, and they both followed. 
The little man led the way to another round door and opened it somehow. To Penny's relief, it was just a room. Metal walls, floor and ceiling. Empty. The little man turned towards Miss Vicky once they were all safely inside and the door had swished shut. So, Vix, you need to hook up your gear with mine for what we've mapped. It's pretty incomplete. This place is bigger than Manhattan. That's what Penny's here for, Miss Vicky replied, resting a hand lightly on Penny's shoulder. No offense to you, Jack, but the guides she can bring us have been here for over half a century. I doubt there's an inch of this ship they don't know about. They can go places you've been shut out of, and most importantly, they know where the Thulians are. They can keep us from running into anyone. Fine by me, girl, the little man shrugged. But for those of us without our own personal spook guides, I think we'll need to scope out a bit more. There's still a few blind spots, and the last thing we need is anyone creeping up on us here. And just between you and me, this boat isn't big on the nooks and crannies. You want to find someone? It won't take much. Miss Vicky's eyes narrowed, and she raised an eyebrow at the little man, then quietly made the peace sign with her right hand. He nodded. She raised both eyebrows and nodded back. All right, she replied openly. You two go, but I want you back here the moment you get wind of anything coming towards us. Meanwhile, Penny, it's time to get Mr. Stone and his friends. The Nazi man and the ninja lady left, taking care to close up the room without a sound. Penny took in a deep breath, but not without apprehension. She was going to feel a lot safer with Mr. Stone here. An angel was pretty wonderful, but Mr. Stone was like the best teacher and the best big brother and the best grandpa all rolled into one. Calling Mr. Stone was easier than breathing. She just wanted him there, and there he was. He looked a lot like his grandson, Tombstone, who Penny had met several times back in Atlanta. The only real difference was that Jacob Stone had white hair, which looked odd with his unwrinkled face. She'd asked him why, he laughed and said it reminded him he was supposed to be an elder. Well, honey Chad, looks like we're ready, he said in her head. Remember what I told you? She nodded. All right, then. Slow and easy. These are my old friends, not someone you need to lasso and shove into a ghost trap and send them on the way. Now feeling more confident than she had since they'd left Atlanta, she did as Mr. Stone had taught her and sent out the call. And, after a few minutes, they came. The first ghost to arrive was a young man in a leather jacket with embroidered patches on it, one of them a flag with a kangaroo. He was blonde and square-jawed and surprisingly short. Jacob, call mate you're a sight for sore eyes. Who's the little Sheila? My student, Brumby. Good to see you, my brother. They clapped each other on the shoulders in the weird way men seem to do instead of hugging. You will be guiding this gentleman and lady to their goal. That'd be the big brain, right? Easy peasy, mate. The man turned and bent down to put his ghostly face even with Penny's. I'm Brumby, missy. You can tell your witchy friend there to do whatever she needs to, so... Huh. You don't see that every day. The tall man, J.M., Miss Bella had called him, motioned to Sarah. And that's further proof that I need to get a good leather jacket. Timeless. As the angel nodded, jaws visibly dropped on the faces of most of the group. You can see them? said Bella, Miss Vicky, and Miss Mel, at the same time that Brumby said, He can see me? Crocky. I thought that's why we brought the kid along, so y'all... Oh, the tall man said. We needed her to call the ghosts in the first place. I was going to light your guide up so you could follow him, then light the rest up if we needed to, said Vicky. If everything goes to plan, they'll act as scouts for you and perimeter guards for us. If everything goes to hell and we need to take something else out, I can light more of them up. Meanwhile, Penny can talk to him and she can tell us what they say. She shrugged. If you can see him, that's one less thing I need to do. Penny shut her open mouth. It made sense, of course. An angel should be able to see ghosts. But why could that man? Fine by us, the man said, shrugging and looking at the winged woman. She smiled. I am happy to meet you, Rumby. 
I hope that this will discharge your obligations and you may continue your interrupted journey. The ghost scratched his head. That's the plan, ma'am. We've been waiting a long time for this. Penny narrowed her eyes and realized that some of the same light, the sort of thing that filled Mr. Stone and, to a lesser extent, Brumby, filled both J.M. and the Angel. So they were connected in some way she didn't quite understand, but felt it was good. That's a fine-looking Sheila you got there, mate, Brumby said to J.M. with a wink. Hope you figured that out, or I might have to make a play for her myself. Oh, she's spoken for, old fella. Don't you worry about that. The angel raised an eyebrow and coughed. I believe I was the one that claimed you, my love. But we should go. Fair enough, darling. I figure we have Casper lead on and we'll get this done. I'm already hungry again, and there's a mess of Thulians in the way of us getting some steak. Well, don't just stand there, Bella said, finally recovering. Go! Sorry you have to take the long way around, mates, Brumby said apologetically. Being as you can't walk through walls. Can you? They were in a hallway not too far from where the enigmatic Jack had brought them into the world ship. The floors and ceiling were almost entirely comprised of the glistening metal that the Thulians used for their ships and armor. In the most odd places, however, were patches of, well, what looked like flesh. Leathery skin with bristling hairs, what appeared to be muscle fibers exposed to the air, even networks of something like intestines in some places, pulsating with a repulsive energy. All of it felt wrong to John. Alien hands had made this place, and it assaulted his heightened senses at every turn. Back where the infiltrators had first encountered the organic components of the world ship, Sarah had noticed something beneath. Faint, but at the same time, tortured. Now, after following Brumby, the impression had only grown stronger. Whatever they were going toward, the reading was only becoming more distinct. Not so far as we know, comrade. Figure it's not the right time to go experimenting, John said. Well, we got two ways we can go. The big brains across the half-sphere, the hinge, I guess we can call it. We can go around in the corridors or across in the open. Buildings, jungle, it's where most of the space Nazis live and work and all. Corridors, it'll take longer, but we gotta keep the element of surprise. If we let slip that we're here and on task, it's going to mean a lot of hurt for the rest of our people. He looked to Sarah for her confirmation. I prefer stealth over speed, she agreed, but her wings flipped a little in that way that meant she was feeling claustrophobic. John nodded. Let's get this done, darling. Keep your eyes out, though. There's something different going on here, like you pointed out before. Bella is right. This entire ship is alive and very, very old. They continued moving through the ship, Brumby in the lead. Their route was circuitous, going through more of those alien hallways, cutting through maintenance tunnels and service corridors, and once a thankfully deserted mess hall. With Brumby's guidance, they were able to move much faster than if John had been infiltrating the ship on his own. Sarah wasn't experienced in this sort of thing, but she was an amazingly quick study. Their telepathic link meant that they didn't even have to rely on the Overwatch subvocal mics, as fast as thought, John could tell her when to hold fast, how to walk, where to look. The ghosts' knowledge of the ship also enabled them to bypass several patrols or lone wandering Thulians. This place was much more active than Ultima Thule had been. Even so, there had been two instances where John and Sarah's connection to the futures via their battle sense had saved them at the last moment from running into Thulians that Brumby hadn't expected. Sorry about that. Activity has been a touch wonky as of late. Let's leg it. One room that they passed by caught John's attention. It looked like it was the Thulian equivalent to a computer room. Tall machines lined the wall, humming quietly as their screens glowed in that awful yellow-orange light that all of the Thulian electronics gave off. Strangely, except for that, the burnt-orange cinnamon smell of the Thulians themselves, and the definitely not-human creatures moving around the room— it could have been an identical data processing center anywhere on Earth. The Thulians were wearing, not uniforms, but a variety of clothing, 
A couple of them had what looked like thermoses they were drinking from. Three were just standing around chatting in low voices. It was all normal. Creepy and disturbingly normal. They're just like a couple of guys on break, like you'd see on any normal job site, darling. John shook his head in disbelief, wondering at the absurdity of it. It makes sense, but it still doesn't change how goddamned unnerving it is. The banality of evil, Sarah reminded him quietly. That is what makes evil so pernicious and so dangerous. It is when it appears normal that it is at its worst. He nodded as they continued down the hallway, following Brumby. I just wonder if those bastards have any clue what they're a part of, or if they're just cogs in a larger machine. Like I said before, things are going to be really interesting when this war is over if we win. What to do with all the leftover Thulians, for starters. He sighed. Stuff to worry about later. Let's keep moving. What seemed like about miles later, Brumby stopped them again. Right. We got no choice here, mates. We gotta go through this room. You gotta walk like you belong here, and you gotta walk quiet at the same time. Understand? Follow right behind me, don't look around, and don't stop. Why? Sarah asked. What is in this room? It's a storage area, Brumby said. Are we expecting company in there? John looked from Sarah to the apparition. Only if you wake it up, said Brumby, and nodded towards the door at the end of the dead-end hallway they'd been following. Being a ghost, obviously he couldn't open it. Is a janitor storage room. So a storage room for janitor supplies? Well, that's not all that bad. John palmed the plate that opened the door before Brumby spoke, and the door opened just as the spirit corrected him. Not supplies, mate. Janitors. The room revealed was at least fifty feet long and fifty feet wide, with a narrow clear space down the middle of it, leading to another door. The rest of the room was filled with what could have been industrial shelves, except what was lying on the shelves were Thulians, dressed in coveralls, eyes closed. There were little blinking modules under their heads where pillows would have been. They were stacked eight high. There was zero evidence of any sort of comfort here. Let's get through this room. Now. Quiet, Brumby urged. Noise wakes him up. Stuff what don't sound right wakes him up. Quiet I can do, Casper. Darling, shall we? John nudged Sarah through their connection. Dropping into their battle sense could only help avoid anything silly, like tripping over a loose grate or bumping into any of the racks. They moved quietly and surely down the narrow corridor between the two sets of racks lining it. As Brumby had cautioned, they did not try to move stealthily. But when they finally reached the door on the end and were on the other side of it, John heaved a sigh of relief. Brumby led them down the rest of the corridor to where it ended in a T-intersection. Your way's right, mate, he said. There's a big empty room that looks like it used to have stuff in it but got stripped a long time ago. Then a door... And that's the brain room. I'm heading back to keep an eye on your mates. That all right with you? We'll take it from here, Casper. Thanks for your help. It's been real. Sarah smiled at the ghost. Well done, thou good and faithful one, she said. Your long watch is nearly done. Brumby snapped off a crisp salute and then walked through a wall. Sarah looked after him as if she could see him still. It is a wonder he did not go mad, she said aloud. It is a wonder they did not all go mad. Most spirits who linger begin to lose themselves after a year, or even less. They cannot recall their names. Their forms fade and they go mad. The wheels of this lost squadron must be phenomenal to have waited here for half a century to bring the battle to the enemy. They had a mission, darling. Guys like that... They don't give up. And they also had each other. John unslung his rifle, pulling back on the charging handle to double-check that there was a round chambered. Time to finish this. We're on the clock. 
With the infiltration teams in place and heading to their destinations, it was up to the assembled militaries of Earth to provide a world-class distraction. The Thulians undoubtedly had some sort of visual detection equipment, even if radar hadn't spotted the stealth barges. They were close enough now that trying to conceal the attack any further was pointless. So, they went big. An opening fuselage the likes of which had probably never been seen before, all directed at the energy shield. Even with all of the massed firepower, they wouldn't be able to penetrate the shield, of course. Their intel said as much. But their intel also said that the Thulians liked a good show and thought themselves superior. So, the diversion had a second purpose. Let the Thulians think that they were completely safe behind their shield. They don't learn very quickly. Hubris will be the undoing of these fascista. That and a hell of a lot of bullets. If this had been any other battlefield, Untermensch would have surveyed the area with grim satisfaction. Echo had dragged out every single bit of their science magic that was even approaching operational status for this fight. Decommissioned pieces of material were made to work, old surpluses were raided, and even some museum exhibits had been brought back to life on the chance it might be needed. He sincerely hoped that nothing would explode in their faces. So many soldiers, so many different nations and command structures. Recipe for disaster, even in best of circumstances. Then again, if Earth did not win here, they would all certainly lose everything. Now was not the time to hold anything back. There were several echo generators set up to provide all of their high technology with wireless power. Well-armored and situated at the rear of the craft, they were expected to be early targets for the Thulians. Until then, they powered some of Tesla's wonders. The most fantastic, and loudest, were the Tesla Death Ray Cannons. The first and only prototype had been destroyed in the battle for the North American Thulian HQ, but with the direct help of some of the medicine scientists, it appeared that they had fashioned more. There were also the automated turrets with their special anti-trooper payloads, they were silent, for the moment, but Unter suspected that they wouldn't be for much longer. Many of the troops had been issued rocket launchers that were outfitted with those same warheads. Hopefully, the combination of all of that firepower and the effect of the echo generators would be enough to protect them from the Thulians, at least for a few minutes. Unter winced as another salvo of artillery shells from the distant battleships were fired at the world ship's energy shield. He adjusted his earmuffs as he looked over the craft. Tanks, artillery, mortar teams, and armored personnel carriers all fired, again and again. Above, jets and bombers, sent in endless cycles from aircraft carriers miles and miles away, dropped their payloads at specific points on the shield. Every few seconds a barrage from shipborne guns would slam into the shields. The barrages were punctuated with several rounds from the Americans' newest rail cannons. The soldiers that weren't assigned to man artillery pieces or the various collection of armor were all on deck or in the APCs, ready to storm the ship. And every metahuman that had any sort of distance weapon at all deployed it now against the shield. Most of them were doing it so from the safety of the floating platforms. It probably wasn't a good idea to be in the air right now, with so much ordnance flying through it. The commissar was the only ranged meta that Unter could see who was not firing. Instead, she watched with dark determination as the explosions, lightning death rays, and metahuman powers crashed into the shield. Occasionally she would speak, presumably ordering an adjustment to an artillery piece or the approach of one of the jets. With her overwatch suite, she had the entire battlefield mapped and projected onto her HUD, with each of the units color-coded and tied directly into her comms. Eightball was undoubtedly much more efficient at managing all this information than Victrix was, and yet... Untermensch wished he could hear Victrix's voice, and not that of the AI. Thinking computers, science wonders from pulp magazines, and space fascista, and what I am thinking about is the comfort and humanity of a little witch's voice. I am growing soft. Bear plodded up to him, grinning and cradling his PPSH in his arms like a child. I am seeing that you are not joining the others in the fuselade, old bear. Unter said, casting a glance to the cyborg. Yet, Georgie, little Papasha here doesn't have the range, and I am to be saving energy for running Donktulians, not shimmering bubble. He shook his head, still smiling. Cannot wait to get in there, Tovarich. 
just do not step off boat. You would sink like a rock, and I am not willing to jump after you. We'll hold party, though. He looked down at the rocket launcher at his feet, still in its case. Water lapped at the bottom of it, but Georgie was unconcerned. Sturdy Russian technology, protected by the case, wouldn't be undone by a little salt water. Soon. John and Sarah made quick time down the hallway. He led the way, rifle out. Even though Brumby had told them that they should have a straight shot, John was more than a little skeptical. He got that the Thulians were terminally foolhardy, convinced of their own superiority to the point of well-earned hubris. But to not have any sort of security guarding a vital component of their base of operations, even if they never expected anyone to get this deep inside of their ship, it still didn't make sense. You have security and redundancies for shit you didn't expect to happen. He had tried scanning the area with the overwatch rig, and his own heightened senses were on high alert, but the psychic thrum of the ship itself was almost deafening. The alien ship's energy felt like the mental equivalent of a nest of red ants crawling against the base of his skull. He gritted his teeth, trying to ignore it. We're here, he whispered when they reached the door. I don't want to be that guy, darling, but doesn't this feel a little too easy to you? Sarah frowned. I cannot tell. All I can hear is pain. She shook her head. Even my battle sense is sluggish. But you are right, and we must expect trouble. Okay. He nodded. Here we go. He paused for a moment. What is wrong? Sarah asked, watching him hesitate. John turned to her, grinning lopsidedly. Just wanted to say that I love you, darling. No matter what happens today. She didn't answer in words, but laid her hand along his cheek and looked deeply into his eyes. For one intoxicating moment, all he felt was her love. Then she gently removed her hand, and the universe returned to normal. Or as normal as it was ever going to get for the two of them. Now I'm ready. John keyed the pad next to the door. It slid open silently, revealing the dark storage room beyond. Quiet as a whisper, John entered the room, sweeping the area with his rifle. Sarah followed behind him, moving to the side. There were a few bare shelving units against the walls, and some crates on the far side of the room near the door that would take them to their destination. The room itself was odd. There was something about it that made John think immediately of that organic entrance room— and yet, there was no sign of such defenses, only smoothly paneled white walls. Nevertheless, John knew something was off. Before either of them could react, the door closed and locked itself with a resounding clank of its mechanism. On the far side of the room, a large figure stepped out from behind the crates. He was wearing resplendent power armor, gold and sparkling even in the low light of the warehouse, with ornate engravings interwoven with the workings of the armor's machinery. The figure held a matching helmet under one arm, a stylized eagle's head. The man was smiling and looking directly at John. And from outside the door came the muffled, repeated blats of what must have been an alarm. For their presence? Or had the assault begun outside the ship? Welcome, Murdoch, Ubermensch said with a crisp German accent, the smile never leaving his face. His brilliant blue eyes shone with a crazed light. He looked nearly unhinged. I have been waiting a very long time to kill you. In a single fluid motion, John slung his rifle while simultaneously firing off a blast of fire from his right hand. Ubermensch casually lifted the helmet in front of his face, deflecting the blast of fire into the wall and ceiling. Before John could fire again, Ubermensch had already donned the helmet, securing it to his armor. Your reflexes continue to impress, but I think you will find them inadequate today. Darling, get airborne. This creep is strong as hell, but it doesn't look like he has that energy sword any longer. Better if we attack him from two different angles. Sarah looked up at the ceiling dubiously but nodded. She got herself into the air but only managed to get about ten feet off the floor. The fire spear appeared in her hands. John ignited his fires, spreading them over his hands and forearms. Time to get moving, Murdoch. 
he began circling to the right. The more distance he could put between himself and Sarah, the more that Ubermensch would have to split his attention. You shamed me once, and you and your woman have been inconveniencing us for some time. But that ends today. Even through the speaker of the helmet, John had no trouble hearing the mirth in Ubermensch's voice. Your militaries are gathered outside and are attacking the ship with their pitiful weapons. They've been tracking them, and you, of course, for some time. Justice before you have walked right into a trap. He marched towards them, lifting his arms to shoulder level, palms up. You thought that you could destroy all of this? Destroy them? Destroy me? He dropped his arms, and his voice went dangerously low. There was none of the previous glee in his words this time. I will kill you today, but first I will kill your woman and make you watch. Then I will destroy you, rip you to pieces, smash you into nothing. Your friends are probably dying now. After today, the world is ours, John Murdoch. Fucking hell, this guy likes the sound of his own voice. John reached out telepathically to Sarah. They easily fell into sync, using their connection to use the battle sense they had developed. This time, something was wrong. The normal avenues and paths were twisted and convoluted in a way that John had never before seen. The only things he could see clearly was that the room itself was dangerous and that Ubermensch was about to attack. Contract the view to merest seconds, beloved. All else is confused. As at the beginning, we need only to anticipate the next blows, nothing more. John slowed his breathing, concentrating. The futures flared, then shrank down to something much clearer. Ubermensch touched a small box attached to the waist of his armor. Time seemed to slow for John as the battle sense lit up. John's body reacted before he was even fully conscious of the danger, rolling away from the wall and coming up in a fighting crouch. Sarah dropped away from the ceiling at the same moment as several of the metal panels fell away. Dozens of fat, orange and gray tentacles dropped from the exposed area and groped after her. At least half of them were mottled with spots that looked like decay and moved sluggishly. John sent a wash of flame at the ones nearest to him and then snapped his attention to Ubermensch. He ran, full tilt, straight at John, as Sarah flared her own fires at the appendages, causing them to retreat. Big and strong, but I'm still faster. John allowed the fires to build in his hands for a split second before releasing a powerful beam directly at Ubermensch's chest. It ricocheted wildly off the armor, carving a flaming trough in the floor ahead of him. The Thulian was almost upon John. Reaching through the battle sense, he understood what to do instantly. He charged right for the hulking meta, eliciting a roar of triumph from Ubermensch. Just before they would have collided, John kicked off the floor and launched into the air on a plume of fire, the sound of his fires erupting almost deafening in the enclosed space. With the extra speed, he veered hard to the right, slipping just out of Ubermensch's reach. The wall loomed in front of him, Another panel crashed to the ground, revealing a writhing pile of tentacles waiting for him. The more lively ones snapped towards him. In an instant, they had hardened into terribly dangerous-looking spikes. John flipped in the air, putting a burst of energy into the fires at his feet. Though his stomach lurched, he was able to kill his forward momentum before he would have impaled himself on the spikes. "'Is something wrong with you, supreme man?' Sarah mocked. You seem unable to coordinate your actions or yourself. Have you been ingesting too much alcohol? Perhaps you should go lie down and call Valkyria to take your place. She punctuated each of her sentences by flinging spears of fire at him. Perhaps all the enhancement you have been attempting has begun to degrade. I expect to see your face fall off next. Or will it be what is left of your manhood? Silence, damn you! Ubermensch spun around to face Sarah. He squatted down and then jumped in a beeline for her. In the blink of an eye, he had cleared over forty feet with his leap. The German meta's problem was, Sarah wasn't stuck with a straight trajectory the way he was. 
she eluded him easily. Instead of ending in his seizing her in midair, his jump ended with crashing shoulder first into the wall, crushing the panel into the waiting tentacles behind it. As he dropped to the floor, whatever it was behind that panel shoved the ruined plate off, sloughed off the dead and fluid-dripping tentacles to the floor, and began growing new ones. Just for good measure, Sarah threw two more fire spears at Ubermensch as he tumbled heavily to the floor. My turn, darling. Gotta give you some space from him. His fires weren't even making a dent in the armor. Seemed like even the Thulians could learn, and Ubermensch had upgraded his armor. This won't hurt him, but it might buy some time anyways. John unslung his rifle, brought it to his shoulder, and flicked off the safety. He poured the entire magazine of suppressed rounds into Ubermensch's helmet and upper shoulders to zero effect, save for the meta turning to face him. Unworthy of you, Affenschwein. I... Ubermensch's words were cut off by an intense blast of plasma that collided with his helmet speaker. You talk too much, John said as he keyed his enhancements. Ubermensch leapt for John from a standstill. John had anticipated the attack and had already manifested a claymore of celestial fire. As fast as Ubermensch could jump with all of his strength, John was still quicker. He sidestepped Ubermensch easily, ducking down and to the left just out of reach. He held the claymore out and to the right, bracing it with all of his strength. Ubermensch's midsection hammered against the tip of the blade as he flew past, almost tearing the sword from John's grasp. Once again, the Thulian hit the wall, crunching against the wall panels like they were made out of tinfoil. When he turned around, John saw that there was a small gash in one of the power armor sections. Okay, we can hurt him, but damn if it doesn't take a lot of force to do so. Not sure I'll be able to pull that trick off again. Ubermensch tracked John's eyes, then looked down to his own armor. His head snapped up suddenly, and John could feel the hatred and frustration radiating off of the Thulian. Ubermensch slammed his palm against the device on his hip, then charged at John. The orange tentacles went absolutely insane. More sprouted from the walls, and all of them started flailing wildly, and grew longer. The nearest ones were already reaching for John. Huh. Not good. With his enhancements already up and running, John was off like a shot, with Uber trailing behind him. He kept his sword manifested, chopping as he ran. Left and right, it felt like the walls were closing in. Well, they were, he supposed. A bit of tentacle almost snagged his ankle before he cleaved through it with his sword, leaving the smoking stump to writhe behind him. Ubermensch crushed it under his boot as he stomped after John. It took everything he had to keep from getting entangled, between reading the battle sense, cutting at the ever-closer tentacles, and running from Ubermensch, John was beginning to feel overwhelmed. He couldn't fly. The tentacles on the ceiling were hanging so low that he could almost brush them with the tip of his fingers if he jumped. The ceiling. Sarah! John frantically scanned the room. He could feel her through their connection, but he couldn't see her. He was about to call out to her when one of the tentacles clipped his knee. He felt the nano-weave stiffen under the jolt. It was probably the only thing that had kept him from being hamstrung. At the speed he was moving, even that small stumble was enough to bring him sprawling to the ground. His sword extinguished, as did the fires surrounding his hands. Stupid. He felt Ubermensch coming after him through the floor vibrations as much as through his battle sense. He rolled out of the way of the Thulian's boot right before it would have crushed his spine and ribcage, in his haste, he almost ran straight into a waiting nest of tentacles. John knew that if he didn't get off the ground and moving again, that he would be as good as dead. Uber was too damned close, and he was only at half speed with the battle sense. It was only a matter of time before the big German bastard got him. John flipped over onto his hands and knees. A blur of movement was nearly all the warning he had, throwing his hands in front of his face. The toe of Ubermensch's armored boot only grazed his forearm, but it was enough to turn the nano-weave as hard as granite and send John cartwheeling through the air. He landed on the ground, hard, and felt a tentacle coil around his left hand. His sword materialized in his right hand, and he brought it down on the tentacle. Uber was already stalking over to him, and there was no time left. 
Suddenly, a wall of tentacles erupted from the floor between him and Ubermensch. So fast, the floor plates were hurled into the air, scattering like playing cards from an overturned table. At the same time, the tentacles grabbing for him slithered back, and he sensed Sarah behind him. He turned to see her emerging from a wall full of receding tentacles, fires extinguished. She offered him a hand. The ship is alive, and I have made friends with it. John was on his feet in a flash. He realized that his mouth was open and shut it, clicking his teeth together. They still had a threat to deal with. Let our friend help us first, Sarah said. It has been craving a chance to strike at its enslavers for a very long time. The wall of tentacles between them and Ubermensch fell away. John drew his sword back into a high guard, readying himself. His jaw almost dropped for a second time at what he saw. Ubermensch was completely wrapped in tentacles, squirming in their grasp. Some of them were torn away from their moorings by his struggles, but more replaced them. Even with all of his strength, it wasn't enough to deal with all of the combined might of the room's defenses. He's got no leverage. John said, still keeping his sword at hand. The tentacles began to strip parts of Ubermensch's armor off, letting the discarded pieces fall to the ground. Soon he was completely out of the power armor. His bare chest heaved with rage, and he looked like a terrible, if impotent, demigod. All that strength, and he can't use it. He didn't say anything. John could feel that the man was completely consumed with anger, and more than a little fear. He couldn't comprehend how this had happened to him. John, Sarah said aloud, her voice dark with emotion. There is no saving this man. He will not be turned, and he will murder everything that stands in the way of conquest. I wish it were not so, but even if I were a full seraphim, I could not have turned him. Honestly, darling, I'm not too broken up about this one. He inclined his head toward Ubermensch. Together? She nodded and manifested her spear again. They both rushed forward, bringing the sword and the spear down into Ubermensch's chest at the same time. There was a sudden psychic jolt as their weapons hit him, as if something connecting him to a distant anchor had snapped. The insane malevolence never left the Thulian's eyes, even after the light had gone out of them. The tentacles that had been restraining him slowly released their hold, and his body slumped to the ground. John did a final telepathic scan of the Tholian. He did not want to have to deal with this bastard again. Satisfied that the man was well and truly dead, he extinguished his sword, letting the last licks of flame dissipate into the air over Ubermensch. So, he said, turning to Sarah, you're saving my ass yet again, darling. Ugly habit to develop. She only rested her forehead against his. I think the score is even, she said. The muted klaxons in the distance brought both of them back to the present. No, we must go and speak directly to our new friend. Come. She left his side and moved to the far side of the room, where a door in the seemingly featureless wall opened. She turned and beckoned to him to follow. With a grin, he set off after her. Our contact has an urgent message for you, Belladonna. Although Eight had addressed Miss Bella, his voice must have been in all their ears, since Miss Vicky's lips thinned and her jaw tightened, and Penny could hear it too. Go ahead, Eight, Miss Bella said quietly. I have been told to inform you that the Thulian Warrior Replication Chamber has been activated on its maximum speed setting. Minimal instructions are being downloaded to the warriors. Okay, Bella replied. So what, they're replacing their army every couple of days now? We... No, Belladonna. Every twenty minutes. Miss Bella said things that would have had Mama washing Penny's mouth out with laundry soap then locking her in the closet for a while. How is that even possible? Miss Bella finished. Never mind. No plan survives first contact with the enemy, Vicky interrupted grimly. 
Penny? Any of your new friends know the way to the replication chamber for making Thulian thugs? I think so. Mr. Stone stayed close to Miss Mel, and Penny glanced back at her mentor. He inclined his head in what she figured was a yes, so she bobbed her head to relay the message. Yes, yes, ma'am. I think there's... A streak of silver edged in ice-blue zipped around the corner, then stopped in a burst of smoke next to Mr. Stone. The wisps came together to form a lanky figure in a jumpsuit. The new ghost looked young, not much older than Miss Bella, and definitely younger than Miss Mel. He hooked his thumbs in the tool belt around his hips and grinned at her. Penny gulped. He looked like one of those singing actors from the old-time movies. When he talked, he definitely didn't sound old. Well, finally. I gotta say I didn't expect to ever find myself in the middle of such beauty ever again. Jacob Stone, you sly dog. Mr. Stone laughed and shook his head. Corsa, this is my student. Penny, this is the finest mechanic you'd ever hope to meet in the air or on the ground. One of the only combat fighters to take down a squadron without firing a single shot. Penny's confusion must have shown on her face because the movie star mechanic chuckled and plucked a wrench from his tool belt. They can't fly something that won't stay together, can they? He winked at her. And it can't stay together if I'm field stripping it in midair. Miss Vicky put one hand on Penny's shoulder and began tracing little patterns in the air with the other. Something inside one of the pockets on her belt started to glow. You could see it right through the leather. For a couple of minutes, nothing seemed to happen. Then Miss Bella bit off an exclamation just as the glow went out. There's a glowing ball of light. Is that our spook? Miss Bella asked. Miss Vicky nodded. That's the best I can do. She looked sort of in the direction of the movie star. Sorry, buddy, but I can't do anything more than turn you into a nightlight. If you nod, the light will go up and down. Shake your head for no, and it'll go side to side. Corsair nodded slowly, and the light moved up and down the length of his face. Better than nothing. I guess they'll get the nickel tour of the place, courtesy of yours truly. He reached forward and lightly tapped the end of Penny's nose with his wrench. The icy puff of air made her want to sneeze. Gonna take these fine people to the robot factory. Tell your friend, thanks for the spark. That's you and me, I guess, Bull, Miss Bella said, sounding resigned. Vix, that leaves you and Mel to watch Penny. As soon as the shield comes down, I want you off this crate. Got that? Shield down, exfil Penny, Roger, Miss Vicky said and made a shooing motion. Every minute you stand here is another minute they're making monsters. Miss Bella said something else bad, and she and the huge man opened the door and eased out into the hall, following Corsair. Right. Miss Vicky looked at Mel and blew out her breath. Have you had a good idea what's coming next? I've got to leave you two. I'm going after Doppelganger. I've got a way to put her permanently in the dirt, and we absolutely cannot let her get away. With her powers, she can replace any of us seamlessly, and no one would know until it was way past too late. Miss Vicky paused there and gave Miss Mel a look. Miss Mel answered her with an eyebrow that would have made Mama proud. What, you think I'm going to tell you that it's a bad idea, that it's not something to worry about? And as for that whole being able to be somebody else, I've had quite enough of that. She folded her arms across her chest and glanced at Penny. And you're right. Much as I want a piece of her, that's just not my job right now, is it? Penny wrapped her thin arms around her torso and chewed on her lip. Miss Vicky knew the name of the devil, the man who had kept her and all of the other kids in that creepy hospital. Miss Vicky had been one of the people who had come to rescue them, but she knew more things about the devil that made him even more dangerous. Although she didn't want to go with Miss Vicky to find him, she didn't feel right just letting her go without saying something. You got a plan, Miss Vicky? Cause... She took a deep breath, trying to make the words sound more grown up, like Miss Mel. Cause if you don't, then you'll turn into a ghost, and I don't know that light-up trick to make anybody else see you. Next to her, Miss Mel snorted. The kid's fitting in just fine, huh? I agree with her, though. You gotta do what you gotta do, but you gotta know what you gotta do first, okay? 
I don't want you or Penny anywhere near that monster ever again, Miss Vicky said through clenched teeth. You've got the spooks to scout for you and to make sure nothing sneaks up on you. The second the shield comes down, Eight, Bella, or the Commissar will give you the all-clear to leave, and the ghosts can find you a safe way out. She shrugged out of her backpack and handed it to Mel. That's an inflatable raft if you can't get to the sub or the sub can't get to you quick. I am getting this job done. I'm not leaving until it is. Penny considered her words and reached out to take Miss Vicky's hand. Promise? she asked, and winced at how scared she sounded. She didn't want to sound scared. She was here because they needed her, and they needed her to be brave, not some scared little kid that had to be looked after like a baby. But the devil scared her. She couldn't help it. The long months spent as his captive had almost broken her. What little sleep she'd found had been haunted by terrible nightmares about the devil and his claws, his laugh. Hearing Miss Vicky say she was going to stop him for the first time in a very long while, Penny felt hope. Miss Vicky knelt down and took Penny's hand. Kiddo, I swear to you, no matter what, I'm putting an end to doppelganger. Miss Vicky didn't smile as she said it, but that was okay. Sometimes when adults smiled at you, you could see they were lying and just trying to make you feel better. Instead, Miss Vicky just looked hard, like her expression could cut glass. You hear me? I swear it. You don't ever have to be afraid of the devil again. She looked at both of them. But I can't do that if I'm worrying about you two getting ideas about trying to help, okay? Miss Mel slipped on the backpack, adjusting the straps while she talked. Only help we're given is following orders and staying out of your way. Everybody's got their little bit of light, so we've got our order to exfil. Simple as that. Miss Vicky let out her breath in a long sigh. Then the very best thing you guys can do, all of you ghosts included, is wish me luck and give me your blessing. I need all the help I can get. At Miss Vicky's words, Mr. Stone brought both of his hands together and rubbed the palms together so fast that wisps of smoke curled off of them. Penny studied the motion, seeing the spindly threads of something silver-white leap towards Miss Vicky when he pushed the air between them. Was magic like smoke and spider webs, or was that luck? She wasn't sure, but whatever it was surrounded her like the glow from the angel lady. Miss Mel couldn't see it. She reached out and patted the smaller woman on the shoulder. Give him hell, ma'am. I know those might not be the best words, but it's the sentiment, right? Penny thought for a second, then stepped forward to give Miss Vicky a quick kiss on the forehead. You be careful and get him good. Real good. Miss Vicky gave her a quick hug. She rose, looked at Miss Mel, and fist-bumped her. Eight, she said aloud. Mel and Penny are protection priority one. I authorize the use of magic. Got that? Yes, Vicky. And with that, she was gone. Vicky stopped at the first junction away from the safe room and waited. She didn't need to wait long. Jack and Kanjar seemed to emerge from the shadows and beckoned her forwards. Took you long enough, Jack muttered as she fell in step behind them. Couldn't leave, not with Bella watching my every move, Vicky said. Her hand rested gently on the pommel of her sword. Eight's tip about the replication chambers couldn't have come sooner. Talk about timing. She gave Jack a knowing look. Yeah, well, Jack shrugged. Our timing's going to have to be spot on if we're going to pull this off. You loaded up. Just about, Vicky answered and patted her sword again. Point me to her chambers. I'll only need a moment when we reach it. That's a neat trick if I heard you right, Jack grunted. Someday you're going to have to show me how you do it. I really don't see that happening, Jack, Vicky said. Even now, I only trust you so much. The idea of you with a blade that can cleave through molecules, that's got to be a recipe for chaos and disaster. And a lot of bank robberies. Assuming we live through this, I think it's safe to say my Merc days are behind me. With a jerk of his head, Jack motioned them to the right. Kanjar dove into an open doorway. 
Vicky followed, and Jack darted in, closing the door behind them. A few moments passed. The sound of footsteps grew louder, then faded away, and they moved back into the hallway, moving quietly through the ship. Jack looked back at Vicky. You might say I've lost my taste for it. What are you saying, Jack? Vicky smirked. You looking for a place at Echo? Vicky felt an ironic laugh struggle to the surface as Jack visibly shuddered and smothered it. Hardly, he said. I've got other plans, remember? Something that will likely take up the rest of my days. Still, I can't see it taking up all of my time. Once I get used to my new living conditions, who knows? Maybe I can be talked into helping you heroes out here and there. One thing I'll say about working with you lot, you do have the best toys at your disposal. You seem to get by with what you've got, Vicky noted. That'd be you, mostly, Jack replied. I'm learning not to underestimate you, Victrix. Don't know how you knew, but that last-minute magical hack was slick. They would have nicked us for sure. Like I said, not too many places to hide on this boat if they know you're here. What hack? And how on earth did you get intel on the replication chambers seconds after leaving us in that room? They stopped moving and looked at each other. You didn't send eight intel on the replication chambers, did you? Vicky said. And you didn't bypass the magic security on this boat, Jack said. They had magic security? Vicky gasped. Oh, we are so screwed. You're missing the point, Jack grunted. I didn't help you and you didn't help me, so who did? Vicky didn't get a chance to answer. One moment she was standing in front of Jack, his look of confusion a mirror to her own, and the next she was flung to one side. She slammed into the wall, shook her head groggily, and turned to see a horde of nightmares descending upon them. Countless Thulians surged toward them, and their gray-green, sexless, smooth yet heavily muscled bodies were even more unsettling naked than they were clothed in uniforms. A scent of cinnamon and burning oranges assaulted her nose. At Kanjar's feet, a headless Thulian lay, twitching, his ochre blood still dripping from her sword. Run! Jack barked and pointed further down the hallway. They're going to swarm us. Where did they come from? Kanjar demanded. Why are naked Thulians roaming the ship? They must be new replicants, Vicky coughed, and fell into step next to Jack as they dashed away. On their way to be fitted for battle. Oh God, there's so many. We need somewhere defensive, Jack muttered and brought up his tablet. There might be something around the next corner. Move. Unless it's a safe room, we're not going to be able to defend against that, Vicky shouted. It's a vent shaft, Jack growled. Ladder access. If we can get to the next level, they'll have to climb to get to us. It'll buy time at least. They rounded the corner at a run and came to a skidding halt as they saw another group of Thulians walking towards them. With a shout, the Thulians advanced, waving their arms menacingly as they closed the distance. Here's the shaft, Jack shouted and slammed his boot into the wall. The paneling gave way with a crunch and fell, clanging loudly as it tumbled down into the darkness. Vicky saw the rungs of a ladder just inside, but her heart sank as she heard the pounding footsteps coming from either side of her. It was too late. They were seconds away from being swarmed under. Again, Vicky found herself pushed to the side. She fell back, surprised, as figures darted out of the shaft and took position next to Jack and Kanjar, who had stepped to either side of Vicky, placing themselves between her and the advancing hordes. With an easy motion, Jack unslung the MK-48 Mod Zero machine gun from his shoulder and immediately went to work, laying down heavy fire which cut down the front runners to the left. To the right, Kanjar had drawn a couple of Chris vectors and was pelting the other group with short bursts from the chattering submachine guns. On both sides, the leading Thulians fell, slowing down their comrades behind them, who had to clamber over the bodies. Vicky watched as a familiar figure crouched next to Kanjar and proceeded to down their would-be assailants with perfectly placed headshots from her automatic pistols. That was impossible. Vicky gasped, noting the actual make of the guns. They weren't automatic pistols, they were Glock G-17s, a semi-automatic model of the venerable design. Whoever this was, they were shooting fast enough to mimic a fully automatic burst, which meant... Scope? Vicky breathed. Where did you come from? 
Scope glanced back at Vicky, who felt a brief chill as their eyes met. There was nothing there. She had seen Scope in action before. On the rare occasion that Scope was allowed to cut loose, she had never really been able to mask a wild delight, whether it be a mad twinkle of the eye or a broad grin that seemed to split her face in two. Instead, Vicky watched something akin to a corpse turn away and continue her one-woman barrage of precision death shots. On her left, Jack continued to spray down Thulians, and the dead were piling up. Still they kept coming, climbing over, leaping down only to collapse at the feet of their fallen brothers as they were riddled by a constant stream of jagged metal death. One almost made it past Jack's blockade, even dodging the stocky man himself, and leapt for Victoria, his hands surging towards her throat. Vicky planted her feet, drew her dagger, and braced herself for the attack. She watched as the Thulian was tackled to the ground and grunted, unsurprised, as Harmony wrapped one claw around the Thulian's throat and sucked his life force dry. Harm glanced up at her, grinning. Guess we're even now, Harmony chuckled. I always feel better after paying my debts. Not even close, Vicky growled. Not even. Victrix, Jack barked. You've got to get out of here. You get to your objective and we'll get to ours. Just give her a good shiv for me. You can't possibly take on- Yes, we can. We've got this, Jack shouted. Now get in that chute, find her, and take her out. Promise me. I promise, Vicky responded instantly. That was the second time she had promised to kill Doppelganger in the last ten minutes. One more would make a gas, but what difference would that make now? Gas or not, doing the job was all that mattered. She dove for the vent chute and scuttled up the ladder, leaving the others- and the sound of combat behind. Eight, I need a route from here five minutes ago, she subvocalized. Her HUD lit up. Now it was really time to move. You've been listening to The Secret World Chronicle, written by Mercedes Lackey, Cody Martin, Dennis Lee, and Veronica Jagan. Narration and production by Veronica Jaguer at VoicesByVeronica.com. Quality review and production assistance by Laura Nicole at ResonantMoon.com. Music by Kevin McLeod at Incompetech.com. The Secret World Chronicle podcast novel series is released under a Creative Commons Attribution No Derivatives 4.0 license. For previous episodes, check out secretworldchronicle.com. The Secret World Chronicle is published by the fantastic people at Bayon Books. Find fellow SWC fans on the Facebook group at www.facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash Secret World Chronicle. And as always, thank you for listening.